Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. In fact, not only did he say I didn't come to abolish it, to fulfill it, but he also endorsed the lasting validity of the law. Look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. To me, that sounds like the law is here to stay. Let me ask you of this. When do you read where heaven and earth is going to pass away? You do in Revelation 21. He says, I saw, John opens up his vision. He says, I saw the old heavens and the old earth pass away. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I got news for you. The law is here to stay. And that's going to be a good thing as you'll see in just a moment. But what I want to bring to you is the new covenant never invalidated the law or Jesus would have taught it. In Romans 6 passage where he says we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace, you cannot interpret that as tossing the law away and I'm on my way to heaven in free grace. See, that's where people go wrong. Saved by grace and I got my ticket to heaven and there's no challenge to our lives. There's no challenge to the holiness that we're supposed to live, right? And that's just not true. Jesus makes it clear. Now, that's Jesus' validation of the law, but I want you to see Jesus' clarification of the law. And that begins in verse 20. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that statement about the righteousness exceeding the scribes and the law should signal you to something. Wait a minute. The scribes of the law and the Pharisees, they were the holy ones of Jesus' day. They were the people that everyone looked to as the religious example. And that should tell you, wait a minute, if they're the most righteous people, what shot do we have? And the whole issue with that is Jesus was not trying to implement a new law. He was telling us that the righteousness that God requires comes from the heart, not the external obedience, not that the external obedience isn't important, but the horsepower behind it is the heart. And think about what he's contrasting that with. Think about what Jesus is saying right now. Wait a minute. Their righteousness, they tithe, they do this, they do that, they're always at the synagogues and everything else, and you're going to tell me that our righteousness has to exceed theirs? Yes, because Jesus is not changing the truth that righteousness is required, but he's changing the kind of righteousness and quality, not changing it, 
but bringing a proper interpretation to it. Rather than repeal or do away with the law or challenge its authority or giving a new law or interpret it in a higher key, Jesus restores its original intention. Obedience to God's law begins in the heart. And that's why the other day I threw up Psalm 51 where David fell into that horrible moral failure with Bathsheba and Uriah. And it says, for I will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. I will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, Jesus wasn't making any new laws. Jesus was bringing a right interpretation and clarification to the law that existed. Because, see, even though the religious leaders were obeying the law, their heart was far from God. Now, when we went to, on the Reformation tour, no, that wasn't the Reformation tour, it was another tour. We went to Greece and Rome, and we went into Rome, we saw Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel painting, and arguably it's one of the greatest works of art that mankind has ever done. It's right there at the Vatican that he painted the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel, and people all over the place come and they tour and they stand back and they stand in awe. It really is a beautiful work. You have to see it for yourself, but you're standing there and you're looking at it. And Michelangelo painted that in the 1500s, but through the years there was this grime that began to build up. And what it did was it covered the beauty of the Sistine Chapel paintings. And so what they had to do, go through a 12-year restoration project in the 70s and 80s to remove all of that grime so that it would be restored to its former glory and its former beauty. And that's what Jesus is doing with the law here. He's removing all the grime that the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders have covered up the law with and he's removing that and he's restoring it to what it intentionally was meant to be restoring it to its glory so Jesus never ever invalidates the law he never says that the law is gone the law is out now when he brought that kind of clarification and he drives it to the heart and that's why you see when you read the rest of chapter 5 after he makes that statement Unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on and he begins to say, you know, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. And then he says, man, if you've got angry with somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. If you've lusted after a woman, that's adultery. So what they were good at holding to externally, Jesus says, no, no, it all begins in the heart. It all begins in the heart. And that's what you have to ask yourself today. That when I obey the commands of God, am I doing that just because I'm part of a religious movement? Or am I obeying the heart, the laws of God, the word of God, everything that God tells me to do, am I doing that because I truly love God? Because God is most concerned with our motivations. And that's why he made this shocking statement. I think it's in Matthew 12. That prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of heaven before you. Can you imagine being a religious leader? And saying that dude over there that's strung out on heroin out on the street. He's getting in the kingdom of God before you. What? 
That alcoholic who's over there sitting in, in front of service, because why? Prostitutes and sinners were coming to the Lord. There was a movement in their heart that was taking place that wasn't happening in the religious leaders. And that's what you have to be careful of your kids. When your kids are raised in a Christian home, I'm telling you, that can be deceitful because they can grow up learning everything about church life, memorizing the scriptures through Awana and everything else. But if it's not coming from their heart, that's a problem with God. The whole idea of the new covenant was, I will give you a new heart. It was pointing forward to what Jesus told Nicodemus, that unless a man is born again, not unless he keeps every command, but unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. That's heavy stuff for the church because sometimes we think we can fall into right favor with God based on our giving based on our serving, if you respond to that video and you go serve in children's ministry today and everything else, and people can be deceived by their works and everything they do on behalf of God, it's gotta begin from the heart. Now he brings further clarification, Jesus does, to the law by summarizing the heart of the law. Turn to Matthew 22 real quick. Matthew 22. I want you to see this because this is an important passage of scripture. Now, when he talked about the law and the prophets back there in chapter five, he was basically summarizing the entire Old Testament, all right? We're dealing for our purposes with the law, but oftentimes you can't disconnect them and so he'll say things like the law and the prophets, all right? And he even used the law, the prophets, and the writings in Luke's gospel. But here's what I want you to see because this is important for all of us. When we talk about what the law is and how it fits into our place as Christians, you can't dismiss the Lord's words in Matthew 22. Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. That's Jesus. He never fell into their traps. He actually turned them upside down. They thought they were so smart, but they're dealing with the word incarnate. Uh, they gathered together. Notice that that was their primary problem. They were so prideful. and They're gathering together for the wrong. Instead of saying, man, I'm dead wrong and God's right, they're doing the opposite. Let's kill him. So they gathered together, verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, this isn't a divorce attorney or, you know, a, a civil attorney. When you see lawyer in the New Testament, it's generally speaking of those guys who interpret the Bible. These are your scholars of the day. These guys are the ones that know the word of God. Watch what happens. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, Jesus could have stopped there because that's the greatest commandment. They knew that, by the way. But watch what he does. Watch what he does. Put yourself in Jesus' position where you got the religious leaders wanting to attack him and kill him for righteousness. So he doesn't stop there. Love the Lord God with all your, 
heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Were they loving Jesus? Heck no. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, or a better translation in my eyes is hung. All the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. Now the one to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that's what's called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means hear, and it comes out of Deuteronomy 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, so that's the Shema. Now they held that in such esteem that they would write it out, they would put it in their phylacteries where they would wear it on their forehead. They had it on their mezuzahs, you know, you see those little things on the doorposts. We have one at our house. They come from Israel and it carries a scroll and it's got the Shema in it. And so they understood this to be the greatest commandment. That wasn't an issue. The attorney would say, amen to that. But Jesus does something interesting because we need to see this too. He says in the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus wasn't saying to fall in love with yourself. You know, some people they can't walk by a mirror without going like <laughs> you know. But that's not what he's talking about. When you got up this morning, you showered, hopefully maybe the guy sitting next to you would disagree. But you took care of yourself, you fed yourself, you clothed yourself, you take care of yourself. And that's in the spirit of loving your neighbor. What you do for yourself, do for your neighbor. Well, that's important because Jesus is really serious about this. And if you and I don't understand this, then we miss the boat. Because some people that say they love God, they don't love their neighbor. And so 1 John says this in chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Religious leaders prided themselves in keeping the law, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it for power. They were prideful. They were doing it for monetary gain, many of them. And they were not doing this thing of loving God and loving neighbor. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on those two things. Those two commandments are so primary. Love is self-giving. To love others is to give of ourselves to others. And I like what Michael Wilkins says. He's a New Testament scholar in the same field as Mark Strauss, who was down here. And he said, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purposes. That's what love is. It's a giving of ourselves to others. You see, you can't say you love God and give yourself to God and not love others who you can see because God uses those people. Why is that so important? Because all humanity was made in the image of God. And that's why Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, gave them a glass of water, whatever, you've done unto me. When you visit them in prison, you've done unto me. 
Why does he say that? That wasn't Jesus himself. Those were people, but they were made in the image of God. And so it's important for the church to understand that because if we're just attending services and we're just saying we love God through our singing and lifting our hands and our voices and everything else, but we see neighbors and we don't love them, how does that stack up with God? That's why Jesus adds that, because those people purported to love God, but they never cared about their neighbor. They cared about their cronies, and they cared about their homies, but they never cared about their neighbors. They never cared about their neighbors, and that is so important. Just as the law and the prophets hang on those to love God, to love neighbor, Jesus hung on a cross because of his love for God and his love for you. He loved God the Father so much that he fell in perfect conformity to his will. He loved us so much that he was obedient even to death on the cross. So Jesus' validation and clarification of the law highlights the importance of the law. What am I motivated by? Do I really love people? Do I really love others? Do I really love my spouse? Do I really love those I come into contact with? Because how can I say on Sunday morning that I love God and yet pass by those people, anybody? Jesus never did, even when he was on the way to heal somebody to raise him from the dead, the lady with the issue of blood interrupts him and he has time for her, he heals her, right? So this whole idea of moving through this world as Christians, it's not just being obedient to the law, it's gotta be driven by a love from our hearts. I come to church not because I have to, I come to church because I love God. I read the Bible not because I have to and the pastor says I need to do a devotional. I read the Bible because I love God and I want to know him. And the proof is I love my neighbors, I love God. You know what? Jesus linked them together. So that there was no way, not even a smidgen of a crack that they can run through to separate those two. They were right there. So... When we look at the law and what Jesus says about it, there's no way you and I can say the law doesn't apply to us today. In fact, the law is very relevant for you and I today. What is our application of the law today? And that's what I'm going to close with. What is our application of the law? First of all, the law prepares sinners for salvation. Did you ever realize that, that the law is what sets a person up to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Galatians chapter 2 makes it clear that the law can't save us. It says in verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also, we also believed in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is what scares me about legalism. No one can be justified through the works of the law, right? So does the law have a part to play 
in our justification. In Galatians 3.10, it makes it clear again, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you say you're going to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. If you break just one commandment, you are guilty. The law can't justify you. But the law is meant to lead you and I to Christ. It is meant to lead you and I to Christ. It makes us aware of sin. It makes us aware of sin. Romans 3.20 says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It comes the knowledge of sin. That's why every time I read the book of Leviticus, you would think it's just about sacrifices and blood sacrifice. It makes me aware of my sin and my sinfulness. It is so relevant for making us aware of sin. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul writes, What then shall we say that the law is sin by no means? Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. That's the American dream. Covetousness is the American dream. The more I get the more happier I'll be. That's the American dream. But yet, when we see what the law says about covetousness, am I really given blessings to enjoy myself, or am I a channel for God's blessings? Am I a channel for his blessings to flow through? There's a ministry, some of you are aware of it, it's called The Way of the Master, and it's with Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort, and what they do is they go out on the boardwalks, they go to college campuses, and they begin to witness to people, and they share faith, but do you know what they use to make them aware of their sin? They use the law of God. They use the law of God. They say things like, hey, are you going to go to heaven? Well, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody or anything, but have you lied before? Well, yeah, but there was a per- Have you stolen before? And no, I've never ripped any. Have you taken a pencil from work that didn't belong to you? Have you done? And so they use the law of God to prove that they're sinners. And so there's no doubt when we read God's law, it makes us aware of our sin, but the law of God also makes us aware of our need for Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 3. You don't need to turn there, verses 11 to 13, it's on the screen. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, there it is again, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not for faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So even though the law can't justify us, we realize that we are guilty before God because of the law, that all of us fall short and we're sinners. And so Romans chapter 8 is what you should write down, verses 3 to 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You and I couldn't do it in the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we couldn't do, God sent his Son to do on our behalf, and sin is condemned. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
sin is condemned. So when I stand before God one day and he says, why should I let you into heaven? I'm not going to say because of all the good things I did. I'm going to say because Jesus died on my behalf and my sin was condemned through his death. Therefore, I no longer stand in condemnation before Christ. And that's why Romans 8.1 opens with, there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But what about those who are outside of Christ? There absolutely is condemnation. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.